0: And find Daniel chapter 9. Just before we go back on a kind of Doctor Who uh, venture for two and a half thousand years back to Daniel for the last time, let me just ask you to think, wonder what it would be like if we had a Daniel in our nation today, right hand man of kings and rulers who dared to speak his word, word I wonder... As it occurred to you? I wonder how uh, Daniel would have dealt with the hacking scandal. Now, this is a real problem to me, is the hacking scandal. As you can imagine, it's, uh, my grandson apparently asks his dad, why does our name keep appearing on the television screen? I'm not quite sure how my son answers that particular question. I, 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 can, I confess getting a little bit twitchy when I get uh, further hacking scandals. It comes up, I'm wondering. Then it says Prime Minister about to investigate hacking, so I'm waiting any moment uh, for, for that to come. There were those who will remember that awful day when my successor, Hugh Palmer, when I first came back to preach in this pulpit, had the temerity to get the office who betrayed their old vicar. And uh, he he printed out the words uh, over my head as I mounted the pulpit step. Do you remember it? Hacking poses greater threat than terrorism. I've always remembered that. So who knows what may happen if you're listening tonight. But more seriously, uh, what would Daniel have dealt with? I thought the other day when I was beginning to prepare for this sermon and there was that awesome juxtaposition on the news. There was a picture of a couple who had just got, I said earned but not earned, got a hundred and odd million pounds on a lottery and the next picture was starving millions in the Horn of Africa and all the nations gathered together couldn't provide as much money as these couple had earned in in the lottery and I felt you could have solved the problem yourself. I have no ill to them, I have no, I have no feeling of ill or will to the, uh, well to them, but I do want to say, I think Daniel might have had something pretty pungent to say. Do you remember, those who are uh, nearly my age will remember, when you were young you sang, dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a perfect purpose firm and dare to make it known. I can see by the enthusiastic response there were three people who did <laughs> sing that in days gone by but dare to be a Daniel we could well do with such a man you see the whole point of our series which we conclude today is that in the sovereignty of God God used a man like Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego strangers living in a land where they weren't happy having different laws and ways and daring to be true God sovereignly and at great cost to them used them to be the means by which eventually the people of God were brought out of exile. And that was a very significant moment. Well, now, we've reached the time in Daniel's life, when we, the last moment. If you've been following this series, when we started in the book of Daniel, he was a teenager. He would have been normally sitting in the South Isle with the teenagers, or mostly away at Keswick at the moment, but he'd have been there with the teenagers. He'd have graduated by the students in the North Gallery, and they're away, uh, And eventually, by the time we reach chapter 9, he's a paid-up member of the Friday Club, uh, which is the old folk like me. And he'd he'd been there for 66 years. We know from chapter 9, verse 1, it is now 539 B.C. Straightforward. And we know that he went into exile in 605 B.C. And if your maths is reasonable and you've got to count backwards, that's 66 years. And that's where he is and therefore, some of the things he had done, he can't anymore do, but he can still pray. It's very lovely. We've this moment of prayer in the Sunday before our monthly prayer meeting. Hope you'll join us. Uh, it's a good time to pray. Now, I know this book of Daniel is talking about individual prayer, but there's something very special about corporate prayer. I know people have problems. I know there are godly people who pray individually, very happily, and that's very important, but it would be good to join us. Do you know, I can remember still, the greatest withdrawal symptom in my life and ministry was after I retired in October 1997, was I didn't pray with other people apart from my wife until the Keswick Convention, which is now happening, and I've got more withdrawal symptoms at the moment, until the Keswick Convention the next year that I went all those months from October to July, and because I was retired and I'd been used to praying with the staff team and so on. I didn't pray with anybody. I didn't come to the church prayer meeting feeling it wasn't right to be around the ex-vicar. And I felt the withdrawal symptoms so much that when I knelt, and we did kneel to pray in those days in the Keswick Convention Council, when we knelt to pray for the first time, I was really quite emotionally moved that I was for the first time praying with somebody else that was very special. Well, whatever the way, this is... A time to remind you of the importance of Daniel in his prayer. I do remember that awful moment. I I did sometimes say outrageous things in this pulpit. I remember saying, i got so many people who protested. They couldn't come to the prayer meeting. They would like to come, but Wednesday's a bad night. Uh, But do remember, vicar, we're with you in spirit. And I made the comment from this pulpit, getting riled, if you come to the prayer meeting on Wednesday, you may have a problem getting in. There are so many spirits floating around. It's a job to get through the door. And uh, some thought that I was being naughty. But anyway, I'll be naughty again. And prayer is vital. You believe in it. And here is Daniel. The whole of his life is, uh, is steeped in prayer. You will remember this series we've been looking at before he goes to the lion's den. Why was Daniel thrown to the lions? Not because he made some outrageous Courageous statement against the government? No. Because three times a day he knelt to pray as he always did. And they had said you couldn't do that. You you can only pray to the king. And so for his regular prayer, Daniel found himself in the lion's den. Now he's got the stage in life. He's in his 80s. And when you get to 80, you begin to slow down, so they tell me. But he can still pray. He's able to pray, and we have this remarkable prayer, which I just want to share with you. It's a very, it's a wonderful prayer, as we share with Daniel. Do remember, at this moment in time, Daniel has worked out that very soon he'll be, or they will be, he will be, back in the promised land. He knew his maths well enough to know that 66 from 70 doesn't leave much, and the promise was after 70 years you'll be back. And here he is at that moment and he really wants to teach us to pray. And have you noted when that prayer was made how often the word we came in it? It's praying on his own but he's very much aware that he's part of the people of God and the problems of the people of God are his problems and at that moment he prayed with deep sincerity. Now it's intriguing to me there are three people who live around the same time in history. Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, and in the book of Ezra, and the book of Nehemiah, and the book of Daniel, chapter nine, in all those three books, is a long prayer. Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, and all of them they pray. We, and all of them, there's a deep involvement in prayer. Here, Daniel, you notice he, verse three, he pleaded with fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. This wasn't easy. This was costly and uh, when Ezra went to pray if you read Ezra chapter 9 he was so emotionally involved that he pulled out his hair in a kind of penitence and whatever you do he pulled his hair out Nehemiah was a different character he was a militant character Was Nehemiah? he didn't pull out his own hair he went to the enemies of God's people and pulled their beards off which I think is a rather more intriguing possibility but either way uh, these people were deeply moved and they prayed and as they prayed things began to happen. May I just share with you three simple thoughts from this great prayer. Oh, it's slightly different. We stop deliberately at verse 19 because in verse 20 you get Gabriel appearing and we will just look at that later on. We will pray tonight and unless something extraordinary happens, no angel will suddenly appear in the, in the congregation. Of course, there are lots of angels already here, but I mean the real proper Gabriel won't appear. But I do trust that when we get to the end of this prayer, we shall be expecting God to do something new. You know those great words of William Carey, a great missionary? and He went to India as a missionary when there were were hardly any Christians there at all. And he had this great motto. William Carey's great motto. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. When one day I stood up in the church in Calcutta named after William Carey and I preached, the church was packed with young people and the text was round the back. Attempt great things for God, expect great things from God and I thought, Carey, you've been justified. And so let's look at this prayer with expectancy. Notice first of all the context of the prayer. That's the first three verses. The context in national history, yes, He recognized from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 25, that there would be 70 years exile. Babylon had been captured by the Medes and God would use Cyrus and Darius. We are not quite sure about whether they're the same person. That's a great intriguing question of biblical history. But at a great moment, Babylon was occupied by the Medes and it began to be a time when there could be deliverance. And Daniel... This is the point of the book right through. Daniel didn't say, God is sovereign, so it will happen. He said, God is sovereign, and he wants me to be part of what's going to happen, so I'll pray. He thanked God for the promise of Jeremiah, but he went to pray with such sincerity, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And the whole point of the book of Daniel is that God is sovereign, but he uses people's courageous stand and people's great prayerfulness to fulfill his purpose. One of the great chapters of the New Testament is Revelation chapter 8. And one of the intriguing things about Revelation chapter 8 it says there was silence in heaven for half an hour. I do love that little touch. Just half an hour. It's noisy in heaven. There was silence in heaven for half an hour. And then the prayers of God's people came up like incense and it turned round into Anything but silence. Earthquake, thunderstorms, dramatic events. Don't you think we live in dramatic days? Do you want God to give us a quiet life? It doesn't look like he's doing it. You try to work out what is happening in the Middle East, the Arab Spring, whatever. Oh, please, don't assume that because Tyrannies are being overturned. It's all going to be wonderful. It could well be harder for Christians under new regimes than in the past. Please be very careful. Watch, listen, read, pray. But really do believe that in this kind of world in which we live, if only we saw what was happening and started to pray, Some years ago, there was a kind of movement around the phrase from 2 Chronicles, if my people, we sang songs, if my people. And if my people, God said, if my people repent and turn back to the living God, then God will do things. There's a real sense in which anything could happen in our world. How great to be involved in prayer. The theologians call it the dignity of causality compass isn't it but you get what it means that it means that you and I have the dignity of actually being part of the cause by which God stirs up the world and our prayers can go up whether together on Wednesday night or in your own home when you get back or here in church tonight as we pray it goes up like a simple petition and it comes down in acts of God and if you think about the world that's obvious but I put national history You see, for Daniel, this was going to be the moment when his nation went back to where his nation ought to be. It was going to be a great moment. Jeremiah, from which the quote comes in chapter 25 that he read, please read your scriptures always with prayer, moves into Jeremiah 31 where it talks about God giving us a new covenant. Years ago I preached here one New Year Sunday. Uh, Paul and the others were on the holiday, so they brought back the old boy for the first Sunday of the New Year. And I was preparing my sermon when we were uh, down in Essex with our daughter and son-in-law and family. And uh, I already prepared the message. And as I prayerfully looked over what I'd already prepared, I listened to the news. Always a, a dangerous thing for a preacher to do on the eve of a sermon. But I listened to the news and it was the day of the... Tsunami, that awful tsunami. And I remember looking over my the passage I was going to preach on in Jeremiah thirty-one. And do you know in Jeremiah thirty-one it says the covenant-keeping God is the one who makes the seas roar so that men's hearts fail. Extraordinary. The tsunami in Jeremiah thirty-one. I didn't have to change my sermon. It was just the moment and it was a reminder to say to you as I say to you now that if we really engage ourselves in the kind of praying that Daniel did then quiet life's over. Our nation like the nations of the world desperately needs to turn back to God. It really does. We were all of us horrified at the massacre in Norway and Jane prayed sensitively for it tonight. And we all know that kind of thing can happen on our doorstep. And we are reminded vividly that we live in a world that's lost its mooring. We live in a nation where the laws increasingly move against Christian standards. Please don't just wring your hands. Do something about it. Join the Christian Institute. Find it on your your website. They act. And start praying with them and with us. Because you see, we are unless we stand up on account with Daniel's courage and we pray like Daniel, our nation's in a dire mess. In national history, a moment to pray. But also in personal history. You see, God had a place for Daniel. Please note how he began to pray. He began to pray by an awareness that he was involved. It soon became we... Now, isn't it easy? I've reached the age, the age when grumbling becomes the norm. We oldies who grumble, things aren't like they used to be. They never were. I hope you realise that, don't you? They never were like they used to be. And we oldies get grumbling instead of praying. It is a reminder to us uh, that the challenge comes to us all, wherever we are, to believe that God can act and we are part of the problem as well as part of the solution. If you think our nation's in a mess, whose fault is it? Them? Or us? If you believe as I believe firmly that until the church is honestly revived and renewed in trusting God's word by His Spirit, if you believe that I do, then I am part of the church. We. And that's how he began to pray. I've always had... A problem with one verse of the Bible that no version I've come across has ever got right. Isn't that nice to be arrogant to suggest that? In Luke chapter 18, verse 14, there's a a, a statement by Jesus, a story by Jesus about two people going to pray. Remember it? The Pharisee and the publican. Remember the story? And the Pharisee, thank God he wasn't like other people, and certainly not like this awful publican. And what did the publican pray? The tax collector prayed. He wouldn't lift up his eyes to heaven, but he prayed, saying, God be merciful to me, the sinner. There's no doubt what the, what the text says. The Greek says it clearly, the sinner. Every version I've come across says a sinner. If you find a the sinner version, I'll buy one. Because that's what it ought to be. It isn't God be merciful to me, a sinner. I am in the sight of God, the only sinner that counts. When he prayed, all that mattered was it was me and you. And I've let you down. So dare you pray like Daniel? Daniel wanted to be involved. Don't you realize how pushy it could have been for Daniel? He'd done very well in exile. Did he really want to go away? Oh yes, he'd been in the lion's den, but on the whole he'd been feted as a very important man who'd given wise counsel. He was now an old man and he was, or could be, content. Just to see life out in comfort. You younger ones, pray for us who are older that we won't lose out, and we won't forget we can still contribute. In personal history, in national history, there's the prayer. But second of all, the content of the prayer. What's he pray? First of all, in verse four, the note of worship. He prays by reminding himself and telling God that God is a great and awesome God who keeps covenant. He's the God who promised, and He will keep His promise. He's a covenant-keeping God. And that's why when we say the Lord's prayer. I'm glad we said the Lord's prayer this evening. It's good to say the Lord's prayer. We are told to do so. And it reminds us when we pray, we start by praying about the things of God. Tell me, when you get serious about praying, what is it that motivates it? Oh, a problem in your life or your friend's life? Health problem? Exams pending? Job uncertain? Well, of course, I'm going to pray. But how much do we pray about the name of God, the kingdom of God? Does it offend you that in our nation the name of God is blasphemed constantly? The laws of God are disregarded. The moral standards of God are turned upside down. Does that make you desperately want to pray? The Lord's prayer starts by hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then give us the nature of the note of worship, because God is a covenant-keeping God. He wants him to be the center. Secondly, the need for confession. The longest section of the prayer is the prayer, the we prayer. Always he's involved. And what, is, what does he say is wrong? Verse 5 and 6. We haven't sinned. We've turned away from your commands and laws. And we haven't listened to your servants, the prophets. What he saw is wrong was a desperate state of turning away from God. When you see, as I, I see everybody else on television screen, when you see children dying of hunger and you just want to switch the telly off, it's too much, it's too upsetting. That upsets you, doesn't it? Of course it does. Do you get equally upset when you see how the name of Jesus is being disregarded? when the moral laws set out in Scripture are being put on one side, does that that make you really want to pray? It's here, you see, when, when, when Daniel prays, he's accepting the fact that it was God's righteous judgment and that he was responsible. And he wants to pray with that in mind. One of the great chapters of the Bible in my life was Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah was called, and my call to ministry so long ago stemmed from a preaching of Isaiah chapter 6. Here am I, send me, said the young prophet. But before he said that, he said, "I'm, I'm undone, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I'm part of it. And it was only when Isaiah recognized his own desperate need that God could use him. Kate said at the beginning of this service that you are a remnant. You're a pretty big remnant tonight. And it's great to see she's a good remnant. And if God allows a congregation like this to have a remnant like this. Doesn't he expect things of us? Church plants. Church grafts. Yes. Thank God for all these. But also a group of people who because we believe in prayer will day by day be lifting these things up. And in the midst of a world of need, we recognize that God is righteous and we plead with him for mercy. And thirdly, the nature of the note of worship, the need for confession, the nature of petition. Eventually, verses 16 to 19, having confessed the sins, he then begins to pray. I do want you to notice that in, in church service, whether we use the old books and the old forms of worship or not, there's a pattern about our worship always. And always there's confession there. We start there. We must start there. But then we begin to have petition. But again, you see what he prays for is not primarily himself. He prays for his nation. And above all, he prays for the name of Jesus. And if you notice the staccato prayers at the end. I love that, how it goes on with Daniel. Oh Lord, listen. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, hear and act. Do not delay. Because your city and your people bear your name. He is bombarding God. Jesus once told a parable about an unjust judge. And the unjust judge had a woman who was always pestering him. You can see at the beginning of Luke chapter 18 she was always pestering him. And eventually it says, the judge gave in because of her, and the word is, shamelessness. Or if you want a posh word, importunity. That is because she just kept going in praying, God in his mercy, uh, the judge in his mercy gave in. Now, why did Jesus liken God to an unjust judge? What he wants to say is, look, if an unjust judge will eventually do something because you show you mean business, how much more will our God, if only we take seriously our responsibility of praying. In many ways, I can't be a Daniel. But in this way, we can all be Daniels. We can pledge ourselves with people who pray with with urgency for God to act. Just one little... Uh, health warning. Once we begin to pray for God to act, sometimes the answer comes back in ways we haven't expected and perhaps don't want. More than once in my ministry, I've prayed about a situation and I've felt like saying, please Lord, I didn't mean that. But God did mean that. God sometimes brings people to their senses through testing times. And you and I need to pray that out of the testing times, people will turn to him. I love the bit there where it says in, in verse 19, Do not delay. There is an urgency about the situation in our world today. Please, God, do not delay. Well, let me finish. I've looked at the, con- the context of the prayer and the content of the prayer. What about the consequences of the prayer in verses 20 onwards? We finished at verse 19. But let me just read verses 20 to 23 to you now. And I left it just so I could read it. And we are finished with this note. For I think it's a very significant note. While I was speaking and praying. Confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel. And making my request to the Lord my God. For his holy hill. While I was still in prayer. Gabriel. The man I'd seen in the earlier vision. Came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I've come now to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you for your highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. And Then becomes, begins a bit of Daniel that I, we're not going to do, and I don't fully understand, all about 77s and a prophecy that's going to lead on to the Lord's coming, and for us the Lord's return. But I, I'm happy to pause there deliberately. You see, the consequence of the prayer, there was an immediate consequence of prayer. And the immediate consequence was that the angel came. I can remember in my youthful days, uh, we, we sang a, a song called, the, There's a Light on the Mountains, and the, something on the hill. And there's a... There's a A line which goes, His angels here are human, not the shining hosts above. And the drumbeats of His army are the heartbeats of our love. A bit corny, isn't it really? But uh, uh, there's a great truth in it. The drumbeats of His army are the heartbeats of our love. That is, for many people, the angel that God wants to send into a situation of need is not Gabriel. He's busy. You. You me. Have you thought that you could be an angelic answer to somebody's prayer? People praying in desperate need for a situation in their life, longing for someone. And though I'm a retired minister, I still know enough about the pastoral life of any church to know there are people in desperate need for whom they need a Gabriel. But take it even further, into our nation with all its need, the desperate need for Christian leadership. As I travel around the churches in my itinerant ministry, still, the urgent need we're sending out a church graft, and that's one answer. But all down the line is the need for people who can be angels, Gabriels, in the hour of need. And the immediate, that's the immediate, what about the ultimate answer? For you see, if we were to go on in the end of the book of Daniel, it will remind us that God is working out His purpose and there will be 70 times 7. There are periods coming and it will all climax in the coming of the Anointed One, our Lord Himself. But before He comes, there will be the abomination of desolation and He will come when all these things have happened. There will be tribulation, but He comes. And for the Christian, Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And how you interpret the rest of the book of Daniel, which no doubt another time we shall do? It has this beautiful note. Last week we were reminded in Daniel 7 of the promise of the Son of Man, the coming of the clouds of heaven, with power and great glory. Do you remember? Who quoted those words from Daniel 7? In the New Testament, of course you do. Jesus quoted them. When did Jesus quote those words about himself, the Son of Man, coming in power and great glory? At the most unusual moment. When he's standing on trial for his very life. And he said, are you the Son of the living God? I am. No doubt in his mind, I am the divine name. I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God and coming in power and great glory. Can you link that with Daniel? Don't you see? The the promise is that at the moment when Jesus was going to his death, going to be a sacrifice for us, going into the abomination of desolation, when he was going to pay the price of our sins, He was absolutely confident. A final victory. And we who sit at this point in time, a different point in time from Daniel, two and a half thousand years later, can look back in the fulfillment, but can look on to the ultimate fulfillment. This morning, Martin and I, were sort of uh, slightly later up, and we heard the news in bed. And having heard the news in bed, we then... I had great joy of listening to the Keswick Convention in bed. This was, this was very special to me. As you know, the Keswick Convention is close to my heart. And uh, just to hear the service from the Keswick Convention lifted me up. But it was the contrast that reminded me. We would had the news, the horrific news in, the, in, in the, the massacre in Norway. Taking life indiscriminately. It's odd that the man his Facebook called himself Christian. Goodness, only knows what that means. Anti-Muslim, I suppose the awesomeness of that. And then, the Keswick Convention. And at the beginning of a, a message all about the word for the world, there was an interview with Helen Rosevere. So You remember, she spoke here, uh, very movingly. Helen Rosevere, who's a, a lovely lady, she's my age, so she's not young anymore. Uh, Helen Rosevere told the story of how She always called it a privilege. A privilege in service even to suffer. Suffer? She was raped by rebels in the Congo. She was held captive for weeks and weeks in the Congo. Privilege? You see, she saw herself as part of God's ongoing plan to take salvation to the ends of the world. And I thought, what extraordinary contrast. Here's a madman who takes life. Here's a lovely lady, a qualified doctor, who willingly goes out to the Congo and is prepared to suffer the indignity and awfulness of it as part of the price. And you see, that's where Daniel will have his end. For in Daniel, the prospect of the, the anointed one coming and the glory of it oh yes, there's a the price let's face it, Daniel paid a price to preach his message I think we can expect there will be a lion's den in this country there's no doubt at all that being a, a Christian who stands by Christian moral principles and is unashamed who dares to be a Daniel the future is full of foreboding and yet it's through that that victory will come And I find, as I finish this prayer of uh, Daniel, tremendously moving. I find it tremendously challenging. Uh, My ministry is getting less inevitable because I'm getting older. But I can always be involved in prayer. And I hope all of us recognize that that's one thing we can do. In a few minutes, you will sing this, we will sing this, we will sing this. Bend us, O Lord, when we are hard and cold. In your refinest fire come purify the gold. Though suffering comes and evil crouches near, still our living God is reigning. He is reigning here. Sing it with meaning. And God bless you.